Hello and welcome to One Controller Port Podcast, episode 29. I'm Benjamin Yoder and I'm here this week. I don't know what I'm going to talk about this week, really. There's, a, <laughs> I don't have a ton to say. Um, I, I went through the news and nothing really jumped out at me. Um, but we might we might hit some stories as we go. It's probably going to be more of a go with the flow episode. <laughs> That's probably a bad thing, seeing how this show generally goes is already a mess. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't really have too much to say. I think a, a, a part of the problem with that is, um, I've been going really hard into Valkyria Revolution. So I thought Valkyria Revolution, like, so this, there's this website called How Long to Beat. And it's a very useful website because it tells you how long it takes to beat a game usually. Um, so... You'd hear my typing. So Valkyria Revolution is listed for uh, 22 and a half hours for the main story. 32 hours for the main plus extra. So over the Thanksgiving break, I was like, oh, I'm just going to uh, blast through the rest of Valkyria Revolution, get it finished up so I can move on to Xenoblade 2 and that comes out. Uh, it didn't end up working that way. <laughs> um, I've been playing Valkyria Revolution and I'm probably at like, I don't know. 50 hours or something like that that's the problem with how long to be is that like the they have like different categories there's like the main story which i said was like 20 hours main plus extra 32 hours completionist which is 60 hours and then all styles which is 40 hours i don't know what that means oh that's like the average of all styles of play um anyways so i'm at like 50 hours (laughs) So, I'm I'm definitely it's taking a lot longer than I thought uh, it would. But I think what what I kind of have done over the last I'd say about five years is I'll usually play a game for twenty hours, fall off of it, come back to it. Um, but I'm kind of surprised. I I've been going really hard on Valkyrie Revolution and I haven't really burned out. Like I I probably started around like the fifteen hour mark, so that means it's been probably like thirty. 30 35 hours that I've been playing it and um I'm still enjoying it. I mean, I I would like it to get finished up so I can move on, but if I had to play another 10 hours of Valkyria Revolution, I don't think I would actually mind too much. I'm hoping I'll finish it tonight would be nice. We'll see. It depends. I I the the problem is is that because I've been going so hard on it, I haven't really worked on any articles or anything. Um but I'm really enjoying that game. I would talk about it more um but I'm probably going to write a article of some sort about it so i don't want to go too deep into it i think it takes a while to start get going i'm not going to say it's a particularly good game uh, <laughs> but there are very interesting things about it that i think are really fun to to mess with um and yeah so i'll talk about that more probably in article form i can't imagine doing a video about it i did record some video just in case but um it's just using like the playstation's built-in recording software i only recently got an hdmi capture card over the uh black friday sale uh like an aver media live gamer 2 um but my hdmi cables are not long enough to reach the uh (laughs) the card itself that is in my pc so i bought some uh hdmi cables which are taking a lot longer to get here than the card so we'll see i think i should have them by next week and then uh, i can start doing stuff with hdmi which is really nice because i i I have a video going up this week um and that uses a hdmi to component converter um which is 
I mean, it works. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it it causes some issues with the coloring, the brightness, and I think you'll notice in the video when it goes up that it, everything's a little dimmer than it probably should be. Um, and I'm not great at manipulating video um, to to um, uh, what's the word to like fix colors. I don't have a great eye for that stuff. Um, but. Yeah, uh, but hey, hopefully this causes, it makes it so I don't have as much trouble, you know, it, I, I bought the original, I have a, uh, hop, 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 uh, HD PVR, an older model, and I bought it because it had, uh, S-Video input as well as component, um, both were really important to me for, uh, older consoles, but the problem is the, uh, the S-Video, uh, doesn't support 240p, so a lot in some ways it's kind of useless unless it's like a dreamcast game um but yeah uh so xenoblade chronicles 2 will probably actually be the first game i uh capture using that capture card um it, i've kind of ignored xenoblade chronicles 2 for the most part in terms of like watching the coverage um uh, like i said in a podcast like a handful of weeks ago uh I, I don't really pay too much attention to video games before release these days just because it's just takes takes a lot of time and and I would I think I'd rather just see the game for myself most of the time. Um but I did pick up Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and uh and it's kind of interesting watching the what conversation I have seen around the game. It's a lot of talk about the art style. Uh, I really don't want to get into the talk about the boob stuff. Boob stuff is whatever. Basically, uh, I wanted to kind of talk about it's how it's kind of interesting that the Xeno series has been something that's always been struggling with its art styles in a lot of ways. Um, Xeno Gears, not so much. I think probably because it's just kind of a standard anime kind of look to it. I mean, m most of the game was, you know, character sprites and then 3d models in the background for the um for the environments and then like character portraits uh so that, i mean there's definitely a art style to that game don't get me wrong um but i'd say it looks like many other jrpgs of its time uh let's thousand arms i i thought about thousand arms recently when I probably shouldn't have thought about Thousand Arms recently. <laughs> um, I may play some Thousand Arms soon. That's a weird thing to say again. Uh, I have a history with Thousand Arms. I wrote a couple articles about Thousand Arms, I think. Um, anyways, but, um, but yeah, but then you get into like Xenosaga and, and everything, everyone, everyone in that game kind of looks like plastic dolls. Um, it kind of came around that, you know, Dreamcast to PlayStation 2 jump where, um, we had these higher polygon character models, but we didn't necessarily have, um, like, like it didn't seem like the developers really understood how to use those polygons to their fullest extent. And so you get these very strange looking but still, like, high polygon count characters. Um, something like Shadow of Destiny has this, too, or they just look so stiff and awkward. Um, and, again, like, plastic dolls, they have no life to them in a lot of ways. Uh, but they... they Xenosaga, I think, suffers from that transition. And then you see Xenosaga 2, and they go very in, like, a let's do a super realistic look to this game. And um, I wouldn't say it looks ugly 
but I would say it definitely um doesn't fit the spirit of that franchise. Um, it looks very, very uh plain. <laughs> everyone just looks very very like not human enough to be like oh this looks really impressive but not fantastical enough to really fit the the previous games um anime kind of art style to it and i think xenosaga 3 probably hit a happy midpoint of like these characters have more realistic uh features to them so they don't look like plastic dolls but they're still um they're still very much kind of in that, uh, like, you know, exaggerated facial expressions and th- stuff like that. Um, it's a, it's a good looking game. As much as I don't like Xenosaga 3, I'll, I'll give it that. It's a good looking game. Um, Xenoblade, I usually don't see too many people complain about the art style of Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, most of what I see is just complaints about the, uh, how the game looks on the Wii, and I'll tell you this right right now, Xenoblade looks absolutely fantastic on the Wii, um, but that the, you always have to tack on on the Wii on there because it is a essentially a GameCube. Two GameCubes look t- together. I forget who said that. <laughs> um, it is a a, a low powered console, and uh, what they did with that is absolutely amazing and it's crazy it ran at a smooth frame rate. I'm not really sure how they did that and pulled it off. Um, cause I don't know if they spent a ton of time on the, the Wii outside of, you know, disaster day of crisis. Um, but you know, they made the, the, the most out of that hardware, uh, but, but, you know, and in turn, when you, when you zoomed in on the characters and like the environment, they were low poly and often low detail. Um, I will say that the characters, and I never could put my finger on it, but there's, there's something about the characters that I find oddly appealing. Um, I don't know. They're like they're like strangely low detail, but also very expressive, um, in a way that I wouldn't say looks particularly good. But <laughs> but I still like it for some reason. I wish I had better words to to put that into, uh, but I, I I don't at the moment. Maybe someday I will. Um, it's kind of funny though, because if you look at look at the original Xenoblade trailers, the characters actually have higher detail faces. Um, but I think maybe what happened, and I'm not sure, I mean, obviously I haven't dug into the game files, but I think what happened is, um, they decided to keep one character model for each character throughout the game, essentially. I mean, like, there's different character models in terms of, like, outfits and stuff, um, but, like, the, the face, uh, the face detail, they, they kind of keep it the same no matter what the situation is, as far as I can tell. Um, and so that's probably why it's a lower detail than what the original face models were back in, you know, when that game was originally showed off in like 2009, 2008, maybe. I don't remember when that game was revealed, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely not a, I think that game probably has the, my favorite art style. Um, and then, you know, there's Xenoblade Chronicles X, which, I think the big big point of contention with that game is the character faces. They're, they're they have these big bug eyes, and and I would say that they they probably lean closer to the original like Xenosaga camp, where it's like these character models that have very doll like features, and maybe that's part of the transition from um, the uh, the Wii to the the Wii U. I mean, I 
far as I know, that's the first time Monolith had worked on an HD console kind of thing. They didn't really have that power for them before. Um, and I think that part might have been that transition. Um, I will say between, even with the Xenoblade Chronicles 2, the, the, the environments between all the Xenoblade games, I think, have a fairly consistent art style. Um, if you take an environment from Xenoblade 1 and then compare it to like an environment in Xenoblade 2, I think Xenoblade 1 might have more fantastical elements to it. Um, but I think if you look at like the density and the type of terrain and the, uh, the look of the terrain, uh, it generally looks pretty in line. And that's true for Blade 2 from what I've seen as far so far as well. Um, and I, I, I'm just a little disappointed with Xenoblade 2. And, and again, I haven't played the game. So maybe once you get in the world and everything, it feels a lot more fitting, but it does, it does seem a little more generic, something more in line with like the Tales series, with how Xenoblade Chronicles 2 looks. Um, um, I do think the blades look really over-designed and overly complicated in a lot of ways, and I think this is true of a lot of... Um, I think of like something like Blaz Blue or some of the characters I look at in that game, it's like, oh my fucking god, what is going on with this person? <laughs> um, like, uh, I like very plain clothing, though. I think that's part of why I like Xenoblade's uh, ones look, too, is that the characters all have these very, like, standard clothings. Eventually, you can get, like, very gaudy armor, um, but... But I like I like my hobo clothes in a lot of way. Not even hobo clothes, just like clothes that look like normal clothes. Uh, Final Fantasy XIV 1.0, you have all these characters who are just wearing like cloth and leather, and it's just like these very practical looking outfits, which you know doesn't make for great MMO design of like I'm going to make my character look like the most badass thing. It's like no, I look like the guy who like just got back from hurting his sheep. <laughs> and and uh and i'm gonna go fight this this battle now with my sword um i think if i ever go back to final fantasy 14 i'll probably focus more on like very plain clothing like if i do glamour because i just don't really like the the over design of the armor and that in most mmos i think final fantasy 11 eventually got to that point but early on it had very practical looking armor for the most part i shouldn't say practical but very very toned down um but yeah, I just, I, 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 maybe I'll come around on it. I mean, I didn't like how the original Xenoblade X, Chronicles X, I didn't like how Xenoblade Chronicles X looked originally, uh, either, but it eventually grew on me. Um, even the, even the faces didn't, didn't bother me too much, but I'm someone who, who generally absorbs that stuff initially. Um, like it's part of why I can play games that are like, like Nintendo 64 or PlayStation games that run at like really crap, bad frame rates or look like awful meshes at times um i i generally let that stuff meld into the background and i just kind of accept that this is what the game looks like for the most part even valkyrie revolution which i was talking earlier in this in this uh you know podcast uh early on a lot of those characters look real bad um but uh over time i just kind of stopped thinking about it too much the only only one i can't stop thinking of is like the spy lady that's in your party she just has like such a crushed head and like so like alien looking proportions that it, it it drives me crazy she's the one character that i really can't can't just like gloss over when i look at but but it's not a particularly great game also the valkyria's boobs are like massive in a way that they're just like 
huge in screen at all times. Um, not in a like, oh, they should respect women kind of way. Just I, they're fucking enormous missile tits, <laughs> like bigger than her head. I don't know. One day, one day they'll stop making Silvaria. If you heard all that noise, I picked up the game case and was looking at the Valkyria. I don't like Savaria. I think Savaria is the worst character in the Valkyria Chronicle series. She's just so boring. <laughs> like she's like, oh no, I'm, I'm actually being controlled by the evil empire, and that's basically what this Valkyria is too. Um, I like the Valkyria in uh in uh Valkyria Chronicles too. I completely changed topic. Let's go to the fortune cookie segments. I don't really have too much more to say about Xenoblade Two. I need to play the game more first, more than anything. But um, I I don't know why that popped up because I have not played that game. Um, I think I talked about Kingdom Hearts already, so I'm just gonna skip past that. Okay, I, I have some sorting issues going on because I have not played that game either. Jesus. This is a bad fortune cookie. Okay. Hey. This this fortune cookie, I went through like six fortune cookies. One of them I could have talked about. Um, Hakuoki, but I... Uh, yeah. Um, I haven't played, I haven't played enough Akuoki to really feel good about talking about it. Uh, Disaster Day of Crisis, also a Monolith Soft game. This is Monolith Soft Podcast Central. Hello. Um, Disaster Day of Crisis is a game I was super excited for, and it's actually why I got into Monolith Soft in the first place. I did have a Xenosaga, um, um, back when it came out on the PS2, but, um, but uh, I didn't like it when I first played it. So it wasn't until 2008 when, or, or around that time when, I think 2006 maybe when they announced it, when Disaster Day of Crisis was announced, and I was like, this game looks cool. I like I like B-action movie kind of games. I love Blue Stinger. I love, you know, over-the-top voice acting. Um, <laughs> and Disaster Day of Crisis is just that. And I love I love variety in games. I, I love stuff like, um, you know, in Super Mario Odyssey where, where each character you capture makes a different gameplay experience. And Disaster Day of Crisis has all these different... Um, basically, you're in this city and you're surviving a bunch of um, uh, natural disasters that are happening back to back to back. And so, like, each, each part of the game, you kind of have uh, times where you're, like, trying to get through a hurricane. You know, there's... There's a volcano exploding. You're driving a car running away from a or driving a car away from a tsunami. Um, it's just a lot of really neat stuff in the game, um, and visually, it's all very different as well. Um, but it's really at most it's a, it's an on rail shooter with like some three some like exploration aspects to it, um, because every shooting segment is just like kind of going around and uh, shooting these soldiers called a uh, surge. I think they're originally called Storm, but they changed them to Surge. I don't remember. It's been a while. Um, but yeah, I really want to love Disaster Day of Crisis, and I still love it to some extent. It's just not as good as I was hoping it would be. Uh, it's definitely a fun game, though. If you have a way to play in board games, Disaster Day of Crisis is definitely one of the 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 funner um, B kind of Wii games to play. Uh, it's just not particularly amazing, <laughs> but I, I I love how the how the game and the story progresses and the voice acting is great. If any, and if you ha- if you have uh, a Japanese and a European copy, they have all the same voice actors, 
but two different sets of voice acting. So apparently in uh, Japan, uh, they recorded the voices originally. The Nintendo of America got the game and was like, this voice acting is terrible. Or these this voice, uh, these lines are terrible. So they rewrote the lines from Nintendo of America and then re-recorded the voice acting. So the Japanese version still released with the original voice act or voiced lines that they had uh, recorded. But the European version actually uses the Nintendo of America edits that Nintendo of America didn't like anyways. It, Nintendo of America did not want to sell Disaster Day of Crisis. There's a whole like background of like Reggie saying it's a game not worth the value. Uh, not worth any value or like not worth the $50 value of putting a game on a shelf basically um, which was not supposed to come out as it did and it did it, like while Nintendo of Europe was trying to sell the game and it was really crazy I love Disaster Day of Crisis um, I should do more on Disaster Day of Crisis but I, I, I definitely have to replay it at this point it's been so long um, but it's originally what made me love Monolith uh, that game and it's nothing like their other games um, I would love for them to to return to something that has the variety of Disaster Day of Crisis, but but really what Disaster Day of Crisis was was an action game for people who weren't you know didn't play video games very often you know that it was on rails shooter for a reason it's easy to pick up and play uh, the the disasters were all just like little mini games where you're like shaking the controllers to run. Um, you know, using the Wii remote to drive the car, and and none of it was particularly great. And this is the problem you have with any game with a lot of variety is that you can't really polish all these individual segments to be like a a great playing thing. You're not going to make a great car game in a game that has you know maybe ten minutes worth of driving in it. It's it's going to be all janky because you're not going to have the time to spend on that stuff. Um, there used to be a title or a, a phrasing that I used to use. I don't remember where I got it from. Maybe it was from some other thing, but I used to call them bridge titles. Um, things like Dragon Quest Swords, uh, the Connect Star Wars game, stuff like that, where it's it's taking a, a game concept that is generally, you know, not played by people who don't play video games and then it's trying to to simplify them down in a way that um that it's more accessible and i would say you generally you, like almost always like with final fantasy mystic quest you, you're gonna have um a worse game in a lot of ways but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad game or not a fun game uh it's just really different you know mystic quest has has uh Mystic Quest has like uh, Zelda overworld elements that are put into it to to kind of give more of an action feel to the game. Uh, British titles are fascinating, and I'm sad that they seem to be kind of gone. Um, nobody's really trying to to convert a a a Wii type audience player into a full game player anymore. Uh, but Disaster Day of Christ is definitely one of those titles. It's an action game for people who are casuals, essentially. You know, people don't like using the word casuals. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a, uh, I think in the context of like how you say it, it can be a bad thing. Um, but I think it's a good word to describe people who, who aren't particularly super into games um, and don't know how to use like a standard controller well. Don't know how to, you know, play a first person shooter well. Uh, but you can boil it down to the core elements of these games and try to present them to um, present them to uh, a new audience. Um, 
and that may not necessarily be great for the current audience. And I think the problem with these bridge games is that they don't, they aren't necessarily great for the casual audience either. They're, they're kind of games that are made for people that I don't think exist, <laughs> that are like trying to trying to bridge that gap that gap between casual and like a hardcore game experience. Um, but I I really like those games just because they're so they're so simple in a lot of ways, but they're boiling very complex ideas into simple elements. Um, you know, Dragon Quest Swords is a like 10 hour JRPG uh, that really like each character has like six spells. And then you just sit there and, like slash and uh, block using a shield during combat. It's more action focused. Dragon Quest Swords is essentially an on rail sword fighting game. Um, but yeah, all those all those games, I I, I recommend uh, if you have like a really open mind. If you're looking for like the greatest AAA game, absolutely not. Don't don't even consider it. But if you want to look for something with a lot of variety or like a different perspective on a series or genre that you've kind of fu- come to fully understand, uh, games like Final Fantasy, Mystic Quest, Dragon Quest Swords, and Disaster Day of Crisis are are really fantastic games for those. That's going to do it for this week. Um, hopefully it wasn't too all over the place for this episode. Um, a lot of monolith talk. <laughs> I'm a big monolith soft fan. I think they generally do good with their games. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of bad things about Xenoblade Chronicles too, but we'll see. I heard a lot of bad things about Valkyria Revolution, and I'm not going to tell you that Valkyria Revolution is a great game, but there are f- some fascinating design decisions in Valkyria Revolution uh, in a, that that don't particularly add up to make a great game, but are is, uh, really fun to play with. Um, so, yeah, there are parts of Valkyria Revolution I really like. Um, so I hope you read that article uh, because it's a it's a fun it's a fun game. It just takes time and patience to get into it. I think. Um, and I think it's, uh, it comes down to there's a understanding of the game's mechanics you need to have into how to kind of fully optimize your team's party. I've seen a lot of people compare it to a Musou game, and I guess maybe if, we, if there's like a morale uh, segment in a Musou game, maybe that, that would apply. But if you're talking about it from like, oh, I'm just going to smash square or X or whatever, I don't think that really applies to uh valkyrie revolution although there are very spammy elements in the game uh but it usually requires a bit of setup before those spammy elements really come to play so that's gonna be it for this week thanks you guys i wrote an article about strange telephone an iphone and android game um if you want to go read that it is on my blog uh it's a neat game kind of reminds me a little bit of no man's sky except for it's not like no man's sky at all <laughs> but but yeah uh yeah check it out and other than that though i hope you guys have a good week and thanks for listening bye